Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Morning, Matt. Morning, Stu. We're uh, definitely into autumn now, I think. We're, we're into autumn and we're back in the Old Testament again. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. We shouldn't join those two dots, though, I don't think. But anyway, because I know you love the Old Testament. But uh, I love the Old Testament. We are. And uh, we're, we're, moving, we're moving toward one of my, one of my favorite books, certainly my pro- favorite prophetic book, which is uh, the book of Jeremiah. But, uh, but today... Today, uh, it's yeah. Nahum and Zephaniah. Nahum and Zephaniah, I, we'll be looking at first, exactly. A lot of yeah. people don't. I mean, you know, if, if you just ask someone randomly, uh, you know, even a fairly well read Christian, what, what's Nahum and Zephaniah about? I think a lot of people would be hard, hard pressed to yeah. uh, remember. Well, I was until I, you know, prepared for this today. I was like, well, now what's Nahum and Zephaniah about? Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah. But it's been interesting to me because it wasn't so long ago, and our listeners, I'm sure, will remember this, that we've been talking about the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom mm. and King Josiah. Yeah. And a lot of this happened, a lot of this prophecy was taking place at the time of yeah. King Josiah, likely at the time of King Josiah's rule. Yeah. And King Josiah was the one who actually tried to bring back the people to spiritual mm. Yeah, that's righteousness. Right. Yeah. Uh, of course, it didn't. It didn't last very long. In fact, less than twenty five years after Josiah yeah. died, I think Babylon yeah. came in and, and yeah. took over the nation of Judah. But uh, it, you know, as we talk through this, you'll be recognizing some of the some of the prophe- prophecies in line with what we what we did talk through. Yeah, that's uh, right. Just a, a, a little bit of a historical, maybe a little bit of a yeah, historical kind of uh, context. Um, so, uh, so we're in the period of the divided kingdom, the Northern kingdom of Israel. So we've got the Northern kingdom of Israel, Southern kingdom of Judah, the Northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed, uh, by the Assyrians. Um, and so all you've really got left of the great 12 tribes of Israel is, is Judah, is Judah in, in the, the South. south. Yeah. And when the Assyrians came in, you've got the famous story about Hezekiah. And so they destroyed Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. That's right. Then they came to Hezekiah up against the walls. Remember, Hezekiah prayed to God, and then there was that, you know, the angel of the Lord came and swept uh, through, their own yeah, swept through the, the camp, and 185,000 or so uh, soldiers, uh, you know, were killed on that one night. Man, it's a, it's a you know, classic story. Mm. Um, the Assyrians withdrew, but that, that the Assyrians had plenty more business from this point on. They, they weren't withdrawing forever. They were going to come back and... You and know, more the point, they were they were at that point in time growing. They they around this time, six sixty BC, I think it is. They yeah. they conquered the Egyptians. Yeah, in that's terms right. At Thebes, which was the, you know, the uh, big yeah, stronghold. Thebes. Yeah, that's Thebes right. For, yeah. uh, for for the Egyptians. So, you know, this is a growing, powerful empire. Yeah, and increasingly confident. And you would have yes, thought that after the Hezekiah, the thing with Hezekiah, that. Uh, particularly the way that that happened, and and mm. uh, uh, Herodotus, the Greek historian, uh, actually relates a story that uh, seems to be a sort of garbled version of that. So this is a story of the uh, destruction of the Assyrian army uh, in the time of Hezekiah. Yeah, um, he mentions something about a like a plague of mice or something. But it could have been, you know, I mean. Uh, as I said, it was kind of a garbled version, but the point is that the story seems to have gotten out there about this army that was destroyed at the gates of Jerusalem. Mm. And so you would think that, I mean, particularly for a fairly superstitious, in a fairly superstitious time, they would think, well, we'll just leave those guys alone. There's something going on there. We'll come back to them. But actually, you know, they are, this is, 
this speaks to their pride, Stu, because they they really back themselves to go back in. They back their and and this is important, you know. At this time, they back their gods to defeat the god of uh, of yeah. Judah, god of the Jews. So yeah, a lot of arrogance here with um, with the Assyrians. Now, uh, around this time, the capital of the Sy- the capital uh, of Assyria uh, switched to the great city of Nineveh. Yep, that's right. And it was a quite, it was a very bustling, powerful, bustling, significant. That's right, city. Yeah. Now, in the previous century, of course, and we covered this in a previous episode, Stu, uh, we looked at Jonah. Uh, the prophet Jonah was sent to Nineveh? the city of Nineveh. Yep. Now, of course, at that time, when he called them to repent, they did. They they yes. repented. Yeah. And um, however, uh, that didn't last uh, for the next generation because it, it seems to be now uh, worse than ever. Yeah. So yeah. and. Um, and so it's interesting. So this is kind of just give, yeah, give us, give us some background. It's around yeah. about 660 BC. Yep. This is yep. sort of taking place. And as you said, Assyria kind of dominated the near um, ancient Near East at the time. Uh, as you said, Samaria had already fallen. Uh, so you had, we, we've, you know, we've had, you know, Hezekiah and then uh, Hezekiah's son Manasseh. Yep. And then uh, a couple of kings later, you've got. You've got Josiah, so yeah, yeah. and and Manasseh, the name on yeah, Manasseh being probably the worst king yeah. ever. That's right, yeah, <laughs> of Judah, and and probably I think not so much Nahum, but we'll get to Zephaniah. But Zephaniah actually related to one of those kings, a great grandson potentially. Mm. Um, when we get to Zephaniah, so these these prophets are, are speaking into a situation they're very familiar with. That's right. Know, so that's yeah. right. Interesting. The name Nahum yeah. Yeah. means comfort, uh, and. And this probably speaks to the role of this prophecy, because why, you know, what's the point in the Bible, which speaks mostly to God's people? Mm. Pro- prophets really spoke for the benefit of God's people. Now, of course, uh, you know, yes, Jonah spoke to the Assyrians. He was sent to Assyria to speak to them. But actually, the story of Jonah is for the benefit of uh, of the people of yes. Israel. It's actually a... Uh, you know, a prophetic message to the people of Israel. So this is certainly not comfort to the Assyrians. It's comfort, of yes, course, to totally. the Jews to at this people. time, yeah. uh, who, you know, are very much feeling the impact of this yeah. rising empire. And, of course, the prophecy here is that Assyria, though it has been an instrument in God's hand for the destruction yep. of the, the northern kingdom, yet because of... Her cruelty and her violence, and of course, Assyria was f- famous, even in retrospect, is famous for its cruelty and violence. Um, Syrians, the Assyrian armies used cruelty actually as a tool um, to drive terror into the nations before them, so that nations, you know, would cave in in fear and uh, uh, surrender pretty much. And so, you know, they would line roads with people impaled on poles, and you know, they would do terrible, terrible things to drive fear. In other words, to say, you know, you better do what we say. And God isn't, even though God has used this nation as his instrument, yet God hates the stuff that they did. And this is evident, you know, this comes through uh, in the book of Nahum. And he's about to use another nation, in a sense, to punish them. That's right. Mm. Yeah. So um, God is going to use the Babylonians to punish Mm. the Assyrians. Assyrians. Um, Now, Babylon was uh, a city within the... Assyrian Empire, Empire. Mm. 
and uh, but it became essentially a city state. Babylon was very very ancient, probably uh, you know back to of course the Tower of Babel it refers to Babylon in the era of Babylon. Um, so it's a very ancient city and very powerful city, and so that became its own independent city state. And there was essentially civil war, uh, but of course the Babylonians are ultimately going to defeat the Assyrians in uh, six twelve. Yep. So, uh, so they're a generation away from this prophecy being fulfilled. Uh, that's not uncommon, actually, for that generation away. You know, with that that of prophets announcing something a generation away. I mean, Jesus said to uh, the Jewish people, you know, this generation will not pass away until these things have happened, referring to the destruction of Jerusalem. Generation is about 40 years. And, uh, of course, in the case of Jesus' prophecy, that happened pretty much on the knocker um, in uh, in 70 AD. So Babylon located geographically in what we would call modern-day Iraq, Mm. pretty much. Yeah, that's right. Just to give people some geographical context. Yeah, flew over it one day, Stu. I was reading, uh, I was in an aeroplane uh, on my way uh, to Europe, we were, we were heading there for concerts with Sons of Korah, and I was reading. I had this great moment actually. I, I was reading, listening to this beautiful uh, ambient soundtrack that 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 had a lot of kind of Middle Eastern sort of influences in it, and and um, and 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 I was reading the book of Ezekiel. Of course, Ezekiel <laughs> is set in Babylon. Yes, you know, yes. uh, during the uh, you know during the time yeah, of exile. exile. And uh, and I looked at the little map that came up on the on the TV screen, and I realised we were pretty much flying over the area of Baghdad, Babylon, and right. Babel, the old city of Babylon is outside like Baghdad. Baghdad. Yeah. And I looked, I pulled the you know, I looked out the window, and it was a really clear day. And looked right down onto the 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 curl in the river where uh, the ancient ancient Babylon uh, was. Wow, so how amazing is that? That was a great moment <laughs> for me. Oh, just another, everything the desert, aligned. And the, yeah, everything yeah. aligned. That's amazing. Uh, right that's at that great. moment, it was yeah. uh, it was beautiful. Anyway, but that's the closest that I've been to uh, been to been to Babylon. So yes, it was the Babylonians that destroyed uh, the Assyrians. So this prophecy, as I said, came true um, in in about a generation. Mm. So the the comfort here, of course, is that God is just. Uh, one of the big issues here is because of the kind of things that the that the Assyrians did. The great cry of this people is, "God, where are you? And why aren't you doing something about this evil nation that continues yep. to continues to hound us?" They will remember that Jonah went to them and said, "Repent, or you'll be destroyed." Well, now they've gone back on that, and why aren't you destroying them? And the message here in uh, in name is that's absolutely what God is going to do. Mm-hmm. But Part- there's always hope we weaved into this. Absolutely. As well. well, there's hope for God's people. Correct. God's people. Yeah, yes. uh, there's hope for God's people here. But the the oracles against Assyria are the hope for God's people because it's. It's essentially pointing to the fact that God is not just the God of the Jews. Mm. He is the God of all the earth, Mm. and he has complete control over the nations. The fate of nations rise and fall at the will of God. And so even though God used Assyria for a time, yet they are also accountable to God. This is a a unique idea in the ancient world. Mm. In the ancient world, you have territorial, tribal, or national gods, Mm. but the idea of one ultimate God that rules over all nations is is something uncommon at this time. So this is this is part of the comfort and uh, and of course the the prophecy opens with an acrostic poem 
acrostic because it it's it's actually an incomplete acrostic is, yeah. poem but it uses uh, the the letters of the hebrew alphabet the lines start with the letters of the hebrew yeah. hebrew alphabet so alpha bet gimel uh, dalet and so on it begins with the words the lord is a jealous and avenging god the lord take vengeance the lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath and i think for a lot of for a lot of modern readers particularly when you think Mm. This is Nahum. This is about comfort. Here's your comfort. Mm. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance yep. and, filled, and, and is filled with wrath. That troubles people, I think, in our time. But actually, this is comforting to people at that time because here is a people living at the coalface of the evils of this world, uh, suffering injustices the like of which we could never, ever imagine. Yeah. And so it is a comfort that God gets angry as well. It's actually that is a comfort. It's it's not good news for them. It's not good news to think that God is. Oh, I'll just you know I'll let evil off, off yeah. all over the place. Uh, I'll I'll just you know I'll push justice aside and just show grace. Now even in Jesus Christ, remember, uh, God shows us grace in Jesus Christ, but not by sweeping justice aside. No, that's right. Um, uh, Jesus Christ takes upon Himself uh, the penalty uh, for our sins, yeah. so He fulfills justice. Yeah. Justice is good. Jesus fulfills justice in order that we might receive mercy. Mm. So this is a this is the justice of God being manifest here. God is just, mm. and He will give to each person, you know, a, according to what they've done accordingly. So, um, so that's a comfort here. Uh, God is across this. He is uh, He's slow to anger, uh, but great in power. And the Lord, as it says in verse three, He will not leave the guilty unpunished. Yeah. That's a comfort for this uh, for this people who. Uh, you know the 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 sort of multi generational trauma you know here from a nation like the Assyrians, even just from the fear. Yes, you having know, heard what's happening. Season, that's right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you just never know if this army is going to sweep down, and the, the horrors that they uh, that they knew about and and were afraid of. I mean, goodness me, you, you just mm. you would be constantly praying, God, destroy this threat, right? Yeah. So we've got to get inside, to understand a book like this, you've got to get inside the fear, the trauma, you know, the terror that that nations like the Assyrians inflicted on peoples and the situation, therefore, uh, that the Jews are in. And, of course, the flip side to this, Stu, is verse 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Mm. Um, So that's what this is about. The book's just not, it's not just about what God's going to do with Nineveh. It's God saying to his people, I I will my justice uh, and, and let this be for your comfort yeah. uh, so that whoever takes refuge in me, uh, you know, will uh, will find me trustworthy and faithful and, yeah. and uh, you know, will be safe. So not only is the, uh, is the fall of Nineveh predicted here, but, in two chapter two verse two, it says the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. It goes on. So, so there's this sense that God is also going to restore His people. And in in chapter two, actually, is where a hint of who it is that's going to come and destroy the Assyrians, because He talks about the warrior, the shields of His warriors are dyed red, and the valiant men are dressed in scarlet, which was known to be kind of the uniform, for want of a better word, of the yeah. Babylonians. Yeah. So this wasn't about the Assyrians yeah. now. This was actually about yeah, the Babylonians right. that were yeah. going to be coming in here, yeah. um, which, which name again, as you say, is prophesying probably 40 years before it actually took place. Yeah. Well, um, I think we'll leave, we'll leave the book of Nahum there. Uh, of Nahum there. 
and uh, turn to the book of Zephaniah. Now, now we, we're, we're going a little later here. Uh, we're, we're about 30 years, yep. 30 years later. This is during the reign of uh, Josiah, as it says at the beginning of the book of Zephaniah. Now, the big theme for the book of Zephaniah, Stu, is the day of the Lord. I've, I've, yeah. I've highlighted throughout uh, my Bible here uh, in red all the mentions of the day of the Lord, and it's just littered with mentions of the day, the day, the day, the day of the Lord uh, right through the book of Zephaniah. He is announcing the great, what was referred to as the great and terrible day uh, of the Lord, which is essentially the day of judgment. And it's interesting. Did you find it, did you find it interesting that it's during the time of Josiah? Because you yes. think, well, hang on. Wasn't this a time of of religious reformation yeah. and and in fact Zephaniah probably had a great part in actually trying to make that happen yeah. with Josiah. You know, he yeah. was probably the one speaking into it. Yeah, um, there's there's suggestion that Zephaniah was probably a, a great grandson of one of the previous kings yeah. of Judah, so he was he had the ability to speak to the king. Yeah, that's right. So he probably played an instrumental part in actually um, in Josiah's yeah. reforms, spiritual reforms. And, and and maybe you know, I mean, these prophecies potentially are part of this as well. I yes. mean. You know, just because the prophet's saying uh, hard things doesn't mean that there's things necessarily. Well, well, there was certainly plenty wrong. There, oh, yeah. there was a lot that was going wrong in the time of Josiah. In fact, he he had his work cut out for him yes. to root out all the idolatry, and even then, he really couldn't. I mean, he did a great job. Josiah was a wonderful, godly king, but idolatry was so deeply entrenched yeah, because uh, Manasseh was the it was his father so it, that had gone yeah. as far as it had yeah, ever gone right. and yeah. he's trying to pull this back and but it, within 25 years of Josiah's kind of reforms really spiritual reforms it all it all, it all goes downhill again, yeah. uh, from there so yeah so it's very very much entrenched so there's plenty here to warn about yeah. but this is part of this religious for- reform is that this voice can be heard and and becomes a great impetus for Josiah's reform. And of course, the consciousness of this great day of the Lord is part of that because there is going to be a day of reckoning. I mean, this is the ultimate sobering thing. There, there will be a day of reckoning and speaks about this in um, Revelation chapter 20, yep. speaks about it all through the Bible, this great day of reckoning. And, and so... The way that it's depicted in the beginning of Zephaniah is like a reversal of creation. It's like Genesis chapter one, but reversed. Yeah. Because he says uh, in uh, one verse two, "I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth," declares the Lord. Uh, I will sweep away both man and beast. I'll sweep away the birds in the sky, the fish of the sea, and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, mm. declares the Lord. So there's this sense of reversing uh, almost laying bare the earth again as as um as peter says uh in his second letter you know the earth will be laid bare and uh, and that's what's being um that's what's being prophesied here he says in verse 7 uh, it's interesting the other thing that i highlighted uh, i i found it interesting to go through and highlight all the imperatives right uh, so all all of the uh, by imperative i mean the orders the the, the commands yeah and uh, the first of these is be silent. Mm. This, this is interesting. They actually go, the imperatives go, uh, verse 7, be silent before the sovereign Lord. Yeah. Verse 11, then wail. Uh, then in 
chapter 2, verse 1, gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation. Then uh, 2, verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Okay, so, you know, be silent, wail, gather together, uh, seek the Lord with humility. And then down in chapter 3, verse 8, therefore wait for me. Uh, the sequence of this is profound, I think. Mm. And then finally, in verse 14 of uh, chapter 3, uh, then it's sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be yeah. glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. So interesting sequence through. Th- th- so they're all the imperatives, yeah. you know, the grammatical yep. imperatives, right, yep. uh, th- throughout that book. And the sequence is interesting because it's got be silent and weep and wail and humble yourselves uh, and then wait and then Rejoice, be glad, and sing. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, it's it's really the application of you know Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Yeah, and so there's this call to this call to repentance, which is essentially what was the foundation of Josiah's revival. It was a revival of repentance. Yeah. And so the the book sort of bears that out. Uh, He says to continue in verse seven, be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he he has invited on the day of the Lord's sacrifice. Interesting that he puts it like that. Mm. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a sacrifice. It's interesting when the, the destruction of Jericho, the language that's used, um, the Hebrew word harem is used. That that uh, of all the dev- that all everything in the city is devoted. Uh, the right. Harem is the is the word, and and it's kind of the it's it's the language of sacrifice. Right. Uh, and so there's this sense that you know the Lord's sacrifice is is the way that this act of judgment that speaks about which in a way that the destruction of the city of Jericho kind of uh, alludes to, points forward to, in, right. in a sense, yeah. in, a, in a symbolic sense, sort of prefigures. So he goes on to say, uh, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I'll punish the officials and the king's sons and all those mm. clad in foreign mm. clothes. On that day, I will punish uh, those who avoid stepping on the threshold to fill the temple with their go- of their gods with violence. And on that day, it keeps saying, on yeah. that day, on that day, and then at that time. And and uh, verse 14, the, the great, great day of, day of the Lord is near, yeah. near and coming quickly. Mm. It's interesting, similar you know, similar language is used in the New Testament. You know, it's coming quickly. It's 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 actually not so much about chronology. It's like this is the next thing that's next that's on its way. This is the yeah. next big thing that's yeah. about to happen. Yeah. Uh, the cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble, and so on, so on, so on. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's pretty dark stuff, and yet. It's really sobering. It's it's dark, but important thing about this too, Stu, is that the great day of the Lord is something that they looked forward to. Yes, because they were thinking that's for everyone else. That's that's right. They were longing for this, so, and and yeah. this is you know, in the prophet Malachi later on is going to warn the people. You know, like just be careful, you who long for the great day of the Lord, mm. because actually that day for you might not go so well. Yeah. Uh, and it shows that that they really did anticipate this day because that was going to be the day when all of their enemies would be destroyed. Yeah. And and essentially, though here, there's a there's a that's true. There's a, there's an element of there's something to celebrate here in that it's the justice of God. So it's yeah. not 
This isn't just dark. This is actually light in the darkness for people who are longing for justice. But the implicit warning here is just be careful that you're on you know, right that you are that right justice. with God. That yeah. you're you, yeah. you, you know. You're and we see that in chapter three because then the warning comes to the to Jerusalem. You know, to the yeah. That's of, right. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, that's right. So it goes. You know, he, he addresses the nations, mm. but in that he then goes. And, and addresses Jerusalem. And you, it's like you too, you know, so just be careful cheering, yay, Moab and, and all these other, uh, you know, Philistia and um, Moab and Anna, Ammon and, and, yeah. and Assyria and so forth. You know, careful about your cheers, like fair enough, but remember actually that you are going to stand before the judgment seat as well. Yeah. And, uh, and what's going to matter is... Again, remember the thing, even here in the Old Testament, God is not looking for moral perfection. He's looking for trust. Who do you trust? Mm. Who is your trust in? Am I your God or am I not your God? Faith was always the foundation for, for judgment. Do, yeah. do you, you know, have you put your faith in me yeah. or have you turned to other gods and other things? Yeah. So chapter yeah. three starts with, woe to the city that is rebellious and defiled the oppressive city, yeah. which is directed at Jerusalem, of yeah. course. And the problem here, she obeys no one, she accepts no correction. And then it says she does not trust in the Lord. Mm. She does not draw near to her God. So that's what God is looking for. He's looking for He's looking for trust. Just as Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith yeah. uh, on the earth? That's very consistent. Right from Abraham, Abraham was was reckoned as righteous because he trusted God. Yeah. Uh, there was an imperfect man, and it's the same here. This is what God is looking for. I'm looking for trust. Yeah. Which is really the, the thing right at the very start with Adam and Eve. It's like, are you going to trust what I've told you? Yeah. Or are you going to trust? This, yeah. You know, it, it, did God really say that? Well, that's a, that's a question of trust. It is. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's important, Stu, because we could easily re- read through this and think of the prophets as moral telling police. the people, yeah, as the sort of moral police. And, and of course, they did refer they did refer to those things but that was the bad fruit at the end of the branches yeah. you know they they pointed out all the abuses mm. um all the injustices and a lot of those injustices were um transgressions against provisions in the law made for the poor provisions that were really signs of trust ultimately you know like the year of jubilee and the yeah. the redistribution of land and the the law of the tithes and the mm. you know all of these things uh, were to be expressions of trust. And when they went out the window, when people stopped trusting in God, then they took control uh, of Themselves. their own lives exactly. and then they had to, they ended up exploiting each other. Mm-hmm. So the, the core problem was always uh, a matter of trust. And so when, when God is calling them to repent, he's calling them to faith. Yes. You know, I want you to put your trust in me, yeah. you know, because it's always about, is it me or is it the idols? Notice how it always goes to yes. that. Yep. Um, it's, so, so yes, he can point out the symptoms, all the things that you're doing wrong, but actually the core issue is you are worshiping idols instead of God. You're trusting in other things instead of me. Yeah. And so, as as you know, that's a really important point uh, because faith is the key thing uh, here. So there's certainly uh, promises, like with all the prophets, littered throughout this are these promises in verse um, nine two, of chapter three? Yeah, oh, the, verse uh, well, two verse seven. Yep. The land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. Yep. Uh, there they will find pasture in the evening. They will lie down. Uh, their Lord God will care for them. He will restore their fortunes. Then it says again down in verse nine. 
uh, the remnant. So notice how it refers to the remnant twice. Yes. Uh, the remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. So as with the other prophets, there are always oracles of hope. There, there are warnings of judgment. Okay, judgment is inevitable. Yeah. Um, but there are also, there's this hope, hope. continual theme yes. of hope. Now, there's an ultimate day of judgment, but there's also, there are moments of judgment within history that essentially point forward to that, yeah. uh, that are going to prefigure that. Yeah. Uh, mo- so these, the, these prophecies are not just dealing with the imminent future, but they're also dealing with That's right, things yeah. that are going to happen. In yeah, the so, so this is, you know, of course, for Judah and Jerusalem, the exile is uh, yeah. is within a generation away. Yes. Uh, the Babylonian exile. So the Babylonians are going to uh, destroy the city around 600. Mm. Uh, they're going to destroy the city. So here, again, you've got a, you're about a generation out from that. And so that that act of judgment, again, there's a strong prefigurative element in that act of judgment. It sort of prefigures the great day uh, of oh, judgment. Well, yep. Now, it doesn't mean that every... You know, every war and everything is in, in some, you know, prefigures anything. I mean, Jesus says there will be wars and rumors mm-hmm. of wars and all sorts of things. Uh, that That's just history, isn't yeah. it? Uh, yes. That's just the way that the world is. And he says, but don't be alarmed by that. That's just the way that things are, right? Yeah. Uh, but certainly the things that are being prophesied here, those when immediate judgments within the sort of, in this case, within yes. the generation. Yeah. In a sense, that does become a prefiguration of the great day of judgment that still lies uh, in the distant future. But it's interesting to get back to this idea of the remnant, that the promise of hope is for the remnant. It's taken as given. There's going to be a day of judgment, and and a lot of people aren't going to survive this. Yes, there's going to be a remnant, and of course, you know, there's you know, there was about four or five thousand survivors that went uh, into exile. Uh, Actually, there was more than that. There was. uh, forget the exact number, but it was uh, 10, uh, 15 or, yeah, t- 10 or 15,000 yeah. uh, that went into exile. So there's this tiny little remnant, absolutely, that survived the the Babylonian incursions, the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem and, and the slaughter that ensued. Yeah. And the hope is offered to them. Yes. You know, if you trust me, yeah. uh, judgment will pass over. This is like Psalm 91. Mm-hmm. If you trust me, judgment will pass over, but it will not come near you. Uh, you'll, as as the psalm says, you will only observe with your eyes and see the evil one receive what he deserves. So, yeah. uh, so that's the that's the sort of the theme of these uh, oracles of hope uh, throughout this. Those, as is often the case through prophetic oracles, you get more of them towards the end. So, in uh, chapter three, verse nine, then I will purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. So, you know, n- notice that here there is this promise that people will come from, a far, from far, far away and yeah. they'll, they'll come and, yeah. uh, and bring offerings of worship. And that's pretty consistent with all the prophecies that talk about the ingathering of the nations. So, yes, there will be the ingathering of the exiles, uh, from the nations, but that throughout the uh, prophetic oracles is a sort of prefiguration of the gathering in of all of the Gentiles, yeah. of all of the nations, really, yeah. uh, who were sort of characterized as the, in some ways, as the exiles, you know. So that's the, you know, that's the oracle of hope uh, that, that, that takes us to the end uh, of this yeah. book. 
It's intense, Stu. It is. It's, it's intense it, stuff. It's it's actually written in poetic form. It's it's Hebrew yep. poetry, which is why it's kind of it's got a bit of a rhythm to it in yeah. a sense. Um, it's not just like a narrative, um, but yeah, it is intense. But as you say, those those snippets of hope that point both to the immediate hope that is going to happen within a few generations, yep. but then also the ultimate hope. Yeah, that's right. And again, you know, throughout it, there's this repetition of the word, I will gather you, I will gather you, I will gather you. You know, God is a, he's not a God who is pushing people away. Ultimately, God is a God who is gathering people. And Jesus used this same language of gathering, which is so, you know, we saw this in Isaiah, like throughout the prophets, God is a gathering God. And Jesus used the illustration of, of, when he wept over Jerusalem and he says, how often I have longed to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. This is the heart of God here. This is ultimately what God wants. Yes, God brings justice and judgment, but ultimately he is a God of grace that wants to gather us to himself in his love. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. Thrive.